Hello, 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 and welcome to the 4th of July holiday episode of Across the Dinerverse. Searching for the heart and soul of America, one diner at a time. How you doing? I'm John Murphy, a writer and producer on the CBS Science and Technology series Innovation Nation, which airs on Saturday mornings. Check your local TV guide for showtime. And now, I travel the country talking to people I meet in diners, cafes, malt shops, truck stops, you name it, about their lives, their passions, their irritations, and in general, how they feel about America. Just starting my second season of podcast, so if you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or you can become a patron, where for as little as three bucks, which is about four bucks Canadian, sorry my northern friends, you can ask me questions, send comments about the show, suggest diners I should visit, get behind-the-scenes photos and content, and get access to me, an Emmy-winning writer, producer, host, and podcaster. I'll share what I've learned after 40-plus years in the entertainment business with you one-on-one. Just go to patreon.com backslash Dynaverse. That's patreon.com backslash Dynaverse. We are getting ready to celebrate America's 247th birthday this 4th of July. And I thought, why not take the pulse of how people might be feeling about the good old USA right now in our current climate of ongoing dissatisfaction? So I ventured down to San Diego, California. My first stop was Coronado Island, across the bay from downtown San Diego. And if you saw last summer's blockbuster film Top Gun Maverick, that's where it is. That's where it all took place. American patriotism to the max. So I went to a place called Clayton's Coffee Shop, right on the main drag, Orange Boulevard. Waited 90 minutes to get inside and met a very interesting man with a unique perspective on this country. Hello, sir. What's your name? Roberto Madero. Well, hi, Roberto. Nice to meet you. Are you living in the United States or are you visiting the United States? I live in here in San Diego, California, in the United States. You live here in Coronado? I live in Coronado. So I love the accent. Uh, where are you from? I'm original from Puerto Rico. So from one island to another? That's right. Which island do you like better, Puerto Rico or Coronado? Oof, that's a tough question, but uh, I would say Coronado. Coronado I like better. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very sweet. It's uh, like a little bubble. Yeah. It's great. What do you do here? Well, uh, I'm uh, right now I'm, uh, I work as a, an emergency physician uh, for Chula Vista, Script Chula Vista. And uh, I'm married. To Jennifer, that is my wife. She's also a physician. Uh, we've been living here since 2013. I'm doing this podcast kind of looking at, you know, as we ramp up towards 4th of July and kind of assessing America 2023. Now, you probably have a very distinct perspective on America coming from Puerto Rico. It's probably different than maybe what mine is, I'm sure, right? That's correct, yeah. Uh, you know, although uh, growing up, I always knew that as Puerto Rican, you are kind of part of the United States, right? But you feel different, you know, different culture, different language. Uh, you speak Spanish all the time, right? You don't speak English at home or in school. So growing up, uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's different. Once you move to the United States, it's a different perspective. Puerto Rico is a territory, an official territory of the United States, but it's not a state, right? That's correct. We are a uh, territory of the United States since 1898. 
Okay, so here's the backstory about Puerto Rico. Christopher Columbus reached the island that would become Puerto Rico way back in 1493, ushering in more than 400 years of Spanish control. And yet discontent with colonial rule led to a growing independence movement on the island, and Spain granted Puerto Rico self-government in 1897. Ah, ah, but there's always a but somewhere. The United States invaded Puerto Rico during the 1898 Spanish-American War as part of a broader effort to push Spain out of the Caribbean and the Pacific. So Spain lost the war and ceded Puerto Rico to the U.S., along with other territories including Guam and the Philippines. By 1917, Congress had granted Puerto Ricans U.S. citizenship as the newly created Panama Canal increased the island's strategic value. So we wanted it. We wanted to control it. That spurred a wave of migration with more than one million Puerto Ricans moving to the mainland by the mid-1960s. And many wonder why, after all these years, Puerto Rico has not been admitted as the 51st state in the Union. I don't know, maybe there's no room on the flag to add that extra star. I mean, who knows? The Congress is the one actually that is in charge of our... Yes, Congress determines who gets to be a state and who doesn't. Exactly. And uh, we, we have a governor that we elect if we live in Puerto Rico. But uh, still, the, the United States and the Congress have the final say in what decisions happen. Yeah. And are you technically a U.S. citizen? Yeah, we're born as a U.S. citizen. We cannot uh, vote for the presidents if we are in Puerto Rico. Uh, but once we move, if we move to the United States, then we can vote for the president. So it's changed what kind of American you are if you live in the island or in the United States. If you live in Puerto Rico, do you pay all U.S. taxes, like in- income tax and things like that? Do you know? We don't. Uh, we, we pay like the, the Puerto Rican tax. Uh, we pay tax and the uh, shipments that we got for, for the goods, right? We have to import. An import every, tax. The import tax. And when you add that tax to the mix, it's actually higher than any other tax that you will be paying if you were paying the regular United States taxes. Salaries are much lower. Uh, and uh, the prices in the food and uh, clothing is the, the same than in the United States. So you have to basically work like magic with, with the little money that you get. And you don't get all the benefits uh, that you get being in the United States. So you don't get the federal funding for programs and schools and things like that, like, say, California does or Kansas does? Uh, we don't. We probably get, like, a, a small percentage, but no, not the same. No same. We don't get a, a Medicare. We don't get a, the same amount of help that we will get if we are living in the United States. How does that make you feel as a Puerto Rican? Um, and you can be honest, you know, yeah, might, yeah. might as well be honest. Yeah. Um, I don't know, you, you feel divided, right? You feel divided in, in, in identity sometimes. Like, a, yeah, you feel American because you're a citizen, but you feel like you're not the same, right? When you're living in the island. So uh, sometimes it makes you think like, uh, maybe it would be better with the United States, or maybe it would be better actually becoming a state. So it's a big division in the island who want to be stay the same as a territory or who want to be actually a full state American. Do you have any idea what that percentage is? How many people in Puerto Rico want to be 
part of the United States, and then how many people in Puerto Rico want to be their own sovereign Puerto Rican nation? I would say it's almost 50-50. I would say 51% want to be part of the United like States, and like a 49 want to be uh, territory. Uh, very minimal want to be independent, almost, almost none, I would say. And how's the economy down there? Economy is it's pretty bad. Uh, I would say tourism is the, the main uh, source of income at this moment. Uh, we used to be strong in pharmaceuticals and all that, but science, they removed the, they f- they removed the benefit most of the pharmaceuticals are living the island. There was some type of incentive for manufacturing to be part of the infrastructure, part of the Puerto Rican economy. And I think, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, it was one of those great sweetheart deals where if you were a manufacturer and moved operations into Puerto Rico, you got the triple tax benefit, which is no local taxes, no state taxes, which is the country Puerto Rican tax, and no federal taxes. So you get to make all the money, you provide jobs to the economy, and you pay the employees probably at much less rate than you would pay in America, correct? That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. And a lot of... Uh the big companies uh, took advantage of that for a while. And, and most, I would say 50 or 60% of Puerto Ricans appreciate that because it was a source of empl- employment. But uh, once they removed that law because people figure out it wasn't fair, the money wasn't staying in the island, so the, the, the Puerto Rican uh, politicians figure out that maybe we should remove those benefits then we got even worse, right? Right, so you have manufacturing, you say a company does $100 million worth of business, but there's no taxes. So if there's no local, state, or federal taxes because of this triple benefit that they got, there's no money flowing back to the economy of Puerto Rico to build infrastructure like roads, railroads, bridges, that schools, that type of thing. And then all the profits the company is taking, they're just taking out of the country. That's correct. So the only benefit Puerto Ricans get is just jobs and salaries. Yeah. That's it. That was the the only... And they're taxed on that. And they're taxed on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but that law, they remove it, uh, thinking that it wasn't fair, right? Well, it doesn't sound fair, but at the end of the day, the companies just left the island looking for another country where they can have the same benefits. Like Ireland or Taiwan or Vietnam or whatever. Yes, that's correct. So... The Puerto Ricans still getting affected by that decision, right? Because those uh, those uh, employments were well paid, so that those uh, people lost their job, and now they have to work in something that they're going to be making less money at the end of the day. Do most Puerto Ricans want to stay in Puerto Rico, or, or do they want to be like you and immigrate and live in the United States? I would say most, like if they have the the choice and they can make decent amount of money, they will probably want to stay, but because it's the quality of life and the amount of money they can make outside the United States, in, in, in the United States better, they decide to to move. Like, But if you ask most of them, they if they have the opportunity to be in the island and make the same amount of money, they probably want to stay. So pretty much most Puerto Ricans don't get a, a rat's ass about the 4th of July and American independence, <laughs> do they? I would say most of them, no. The ones that live in Puerto Rico, no. Do you celebrate the 4th of July here? You have to on Coronado <laughs> Island because Coronado is like the epitome of patriotism, 
uh, American pride, all that kind of stuff. Because, I mean, Tom Cruise and Top Gun is right down the street here at North Island Naval Air Station. Uh, you've got the concerts in the park, which are full of patriotic, you know, festivities and the marching bands. And there's literally American flags down Orange Boulevard that's two miles long. And every, like, ten feet, there's an American flag. I do. I do. And I, I really appreciate what the, I'm American. I feel American. I really appreciate all the everything. That so you, you call yourself an American before you call yourself a Puerto Rican? Oh, that's a that's a hard question. I will say I feel. Oof, I never thought about that. Fifty fifty. Um, I'm I'm both. I'm both. I cannot like. Uh, I cannot forget about my 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 culture, my heritage, right? But uh, while I'm here, I'm gonna defend what the United States represent and and an American, and I um, feel proud to to be American. Absolutely. Was it hard to come here to the United States from Puerto Rico and and? and find a job and get a... Did you have to get a visa and all that kind of stuff, or it was just to simply just fly in and start your life? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it was very easy. It was, I just uh, fly in and, and, and start my life. We, we are citizens, so we can buy the plane tickets, and uh, just with the driver license, we can just travel into the United States. So that's very, that's very interesting to me that if you stay on the island in Puerto Rico... Maybe your career opportunities, job opportunities, financial earning potential is nowhere near what it can be just by simply getting on an airplane and flying to Florida or Texas or here in California and maybe going to school and finding a job. Yeah, that's why it's a big uh, group or immigration for Puerto Rican going to the United States every, every year, right? Different categories uh, like back in the 50s where people looking into agriculture, right? And work in the land. Now it's more professionals actually moving to the United States from Puerto Rico. Yeah, you say yourself you're an ER doctor? I am. I work in the, in the emergency department. Boy, that's got to be an interesting job. It is. It's fun. What's the strangest thing you've ever pulled out of somebody's butt? <laughs> I will say a, uh, a bottle. Really? Yeah. A beer bottle? A beer bottle. How far did it get, get up there? Pretty, pretty far, pretty far. Uh, uh, Did that, it break? No, that one had to go to the operating room, yeah. I couldn't get it out. <laughs> we, gave it a, we gave it a try, but it, it was getting too, yeah. It went to the OR. That is, like, crazy. That's what, you've probably seen some really crazy things in the emergency room, right? Yeah, every, every day is uh, something different and something, uh, it's not a bore moment, right? A bore I'm very fascinated to hear your perception of the American medical system with the insurance and health care in this country being kind of somewhat of an outsider coming from... Did you go to medical school in Puerto Rico or here? I did in Puerto Rico. I did my med school and my specialty in Puerto Rico, yeah. Well, just first of all, what's the health care system like in Puerto Rico versus the health care system here in the United States? I would say uh, it's very similar. We are like... A, with a carbon copy of it? Like a carbon copy of it, right? The uh, business model, the way it works with insurance and payments and things yeah. like that? Yeah, it's the same, right? Not with less resources, but it's the same. Like uh, insurance and uh, the, the specialty, the clinics, the urgent cares and all that is, is similar. It's, uh, it's, it's the same uh, Obamacare in Puerto Rico. It's called the Puerto Rico, Puerto Rican reform that we actually copy from the Obamacare. So we... We do a lot of uh, decisions based on what happened 
in the United States and doing similar. From a business standpoint, you know, do you see the quality of healthcare? Now you're an ER, so you're more of a just a trauma situation. You're not a long-term healthcare provider, but I'm sure you say your wife's a doctor. She is. She what is. What kind a, of doctor is she? She's a dermatology. So I'm sure you guys talk about the business aspect of it. You know, what's your take on America's healthcare system right now? Is it broken? Is it working? What do you think? Oof, I think so. It's it's a little bit broken. I think so. Uh, it's very expensive. Uh, I believe the the insurance company run the the game, and that's why it's so expensive. Uh, it's overcharged uh, because everybody's trying to make their living because they don't get probably an enough share from the insurance company, so they tend to to charge more. Uh, if somebody comes into the ER and they have an insurance card, but they are willing to pay cash, do they get a better deal? They don't. They don't. And it's very expensive. We try to, in those patients, we try to get them an insurance. Try, try to get them like a medical or something here in California, right? So the, the medical can pay for the, for the bill. Now, you're really close to the border here in Mexico. Do you see a lot of... You know, immigrants come into your ER, or are they mostly, you know, American citizens? Uh, we see a lot of Mexican, absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's like, I would say, uh, 60, 60% of our patients, either from Mexico or Mexican-Americans. Your job as an ER doctor, if somebody comes in with a life-threatening injury, you, you're going to treat them regardless of whether they have insurance, cash on hand. You're going to try and save their life regardless and worry about the the financial details later, right? Yeah, that's that's the the blessing I will say, or the the, the best part of our, of my job that I never ask for insurance. I don't even we don't get we don't talk about money. They have somebody else talking to the to the patients, but we treat them first, and then the the hospital figure out uh, if they can be billed or not. Sometimes you, you don't actually the the hospital just go into negative if they, if they have to. The hospital where you work, do they take a loss in the ER every year? I would say yes. I would say uh, we, because of the population and the amount of people without insurance or just medical, and uh, because it's so expensive, the the treatment in the ER, uh, I would say we are in negative most of the time, yeah. Do you feel that they would ever close the in, the ER down where they would just not even offer emergency room services because of the loss of financial profit in that area. It's something that is always crossed my mind. I believe that our hospital have the the blessing that we have other sister hospitals that kind of help with the financial of the Chula Vista Hospital. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are associated with Script Mercy Hillcrest. We're associated with uh, Scripps La Jolla. And those are hospitals that make money. So I believe that kind of make it everything even, and we because we we serve a big need in the area. So uh, if we don't exist over there, uh, it would be a, a big hit for the for the community. People would die. Yeah, after COVID, right? We don't have that many primary care physician visits. Uh, primary care physicians are retiring. Uh, the amount of patients that they have, there's so much. 
people tend to come to the ER even for primary care stuff. So we are serving now. We are changing our work. Well, that's one of the big arguments about immigration is that the ERs become their primary care doctor. They never pay the bill. They leave and they never pay into the system. That's one of the big critiques of just open-door immigration policy is that it'll the impact on the health care structure and infrastructure of, of this country would be greatly impacted just be the sheer loss of, of revenue. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a point. And, uh, and we, we lost a lot of money, but we do so much good, right, to the community and to everybody. And that's the, the way I, I see it, right? I see that we're treating human beings and uh, we are saving lives and uh, never kind of put a doubt in my mind that, you know, about the money part. I'm never thinking about that part. So you've been living here in America for over 10 years now, right? Yeah. What's your favorite thing about America and what's the thing you hate about America? <laughs> favorite thing is like you can basically if you if you work hard and you focus, you can you can do almost, I won't say everything you want, but you can be pretty successful, have a very good life and provide for your family. Um, and uh, you have the freedom of uh, religion. You can still pray. You can still do uh, express yourself without uh, risk of repercussion or, or persecution, at least now, today. I'm not sure how it's going to be in the future. And uh, the thing that I don't like about America, huh? that everybody want to sue everybody. <laughs> As a doctor, I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. That have part. you been sued? I haven't. I haven't been Thank sued. God. Thank God, yeah. But I, I know people... Does the hospital indemnify you as their doctor? I pay for my malpractice uh, So you still insurance. have to pay for your own malpractice insurance? Yes, and um, I'm pretty sure if a lawsuit come by uh, for I, for other co-workers' experience, everybody try to defend themselves, right? Who is your favorite Puerto Rican of all time? This guy, uh, Lu- Luis Manuel Miranda, the guy from... Louis Manuel Miranda. Yeah, yeah. Who, by the way, did Hamilton. That's right. About America. About America. About a great statesman, Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, that's him. Wow. Yeah. Leave it to the Puerto Rican guy to tell the big American story. (laughs) Yeah, he did great. He's a very successful Puerto Rican. Very proud of him. He's great. Well, I wish you a very happy and safe 4th of July. And uh, I'll just say for you and your family, God bless America and wish you good health and good luck. God bless America. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate it. Okay, so next I headed up the coast towards Carlsbad, California, a cool beach vibe community not far from Camp Pendleton where the Marines hang out and took a booth at the Village Kitchen and Pie Shop just off Interstate 5. I gotta tell you, the pie case looks sinful and delicious. I barely got out of there alive with my own life. Anyway, I ran into a dude with long hair, working a full tattoo sleeve on his arm, and proudly wearing a Ford truck hat. And needless to say, he shattered my first impressions pretty fast. Hello, young man. What's your name? My name's Dylan. Hi, Dylan. How old are you? I'm 27 years old. Well, happy 4th of July. Does that mean anything to you, the 4th of July? Yeah, that's easily one of the most patriotic holidays, if if not the most patriotic holiday, and that's when we celebrate what the United States is about. And it's about freedom and 
you know, being an American. Where are you from? I was born in Illinois, but moved to Indiana when I was about three. And what do you do? What do I do? I am a radar technician, uh, technical representative, however you want to look at it. I just make um, travel calls to ships, whether that's here in San Diego, Everett, Japan, Spain, not necessarily the Middle East, maybe Guam, stuff like that. Well, I can tell by your long hair and your your mustache that you're not in the Navy. So you work for the, like a defensive contracting company that works for the Navy? Yes, I'm a DOD contractor. Were you in the Navy? Yes, yes. I did six years in the Navy, four and a half on a ship. What was that like? I have, you know, a lot of heritage that's in the Navy. And like my father and his brother, you know, they were some of the biggest influences on my life. And they were in the Navy. And I wanted to follow in those footsteps. So I, I think around when I was about 9 or 10 is when I decided that I wanted to join the Navy. So what's it like being out there in the Navy for four and a half years on the ocean? How? I mean, where did you go? What ports of call did you visit? We actually went over to the Baltic Sea where we had a big event called Ball Tops. And that is where we interacted with fleet ships and other Navy ships across the world. The Russians were there. They didn't really give us too much problems. But after that was Kiel, Germany. It was like the world's fleet week. And it was super cool. There was over 3,200 ships there. And there was so 3,200 yeah. ships. Yes. Just like the Boats. invasion of Normandy was yes. 3,200 yeah. ships. It's, it's crazy. It's amazing. Everybody shows up. Very cool. Were you ever engaged in any conflict of, of any kind? Uh, very close, yes. Uh, without getting too specific, we had some issues with the Iranian Navy. And at one point in time, we were probably 20 to 25 minutes away from launching Tomahawk cruise missiles in time. That's at one point. So you were in battle position? We Yes, we were 30 knots through the water, ordered from President Trump get there, launch them. Here's the, here's the strike package. So not too long ago, as a matter of fact, in January 2020, just as the pandemic was starting to kind of grip the world, U.S. President Donald Trump ordered a precision strike to terminate a top Iranian commander who was plotting imminent and sinister attacks on Americans. His words, not mine adding that the decision was one of deterrence rather than aggression. We took action last night to stop a war. We did not take action to start a war, Trump said in a statement after a U.S. drone strike on the Baghdad airport that killed General Qasem Soleimani. Trump said at the time, quote, he was planning a very major attack and we got him, unquote. In a letter to the United Nations, Iran called the attack state terrorism and an unlawful criminal act, which later escalated Iranian naval engagements against foreign vessels. Overall, do you feel you had a positive experience or a negative experience in the Navy? Oh, 100% positive experience. I would not change that decision. That was etched in stone before I was born, you know. It was just kind of the way it was supposed to be. And, And you felt like you were being of service to the United States of America and it's the service you wanted to provide and give to the country. Yes, absolutely. Um, now, I'm all for, you know, tough lessons learned and, and tough love. I completely understand that. I, I can tell you more about my childhood and, and the way I grew up. 
my dad being a stern man. Um, but the leadership, it just, it was all take and no give. There just really wasn't, it, it, was, it was just hard to be there. It was hard to want to go there whenever you knew that the people directly above you just didn't have your back or want to have your back. So that was kind of one of the, the troubling experiences that I had when I was in the military. And to be honest with you, it, it's not everywhere. Not everybody has poor leadership, of course. Literally right before I was getting out of the Navy, I had leadership that if I would have had my first, you know, couple years on the ship, I probably would have stayed in the Navy. So leadership really means a lot. It, depending on who's in charge affects the overall morale of the ship, the dedication to service on the ship, the fighting capability of the ship, and having each other's back. You're a real one cohesive unit. Yeah. All the strength and weakness of that cohesive unit on that military ship. And what kind of ship was it? It's a destroyer. Okay. How many men and women on a destroyer? Oh, it can range from, I think we even dipped below 300 people at some point, anywhere between about 280 to 340 is about average. That's including officers and enlisted. Well, that's a lot of people to try and lead. And if, you know, did you ever see any situations where some of the crew wanted to almost get mutinous about, you know, their leader? Actually, yes, us, uh, my division, we got we got pretty out outright with our leadership at one point. We had uh, bad leadership after bad leadership, and the, the worst thing that we did was we actually got our leadership fired in a way. You know, they got relocated elsewhere. Reassigned. Yes, they got reassigned, which is kind of hard to do at, you know, on a ship because everybody has a job. And, you know, your, your life is oriented around that job. And if you're being an ineffective leader, that can be extremely sour for everybody associated. You're born into a patriotic military family. You fall in line. You do the same thing. Six years in the Navy, four and a half years at sea. You say overall it's been a positive experience. You love defending our country and thank you very much for your service. I personally really, really appreciate it. So when you come back to civilian life and you see what's been going on here in this country post-COVID, with the elections and, and, and everything that's going on right now. What's your take? Where are we, America 2023? How are we doing? And just tell me your honest truth. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you how we're doing. It's, it's not that great, honestly. Um, I see it, when it comes to the military, they're having a really big retention issue. And they're having an issue getting people in as well. And that's not just the Navy, it's everywhere else. And why is that, do you think? Why is that? I believe that it's it's a combination of the military is getting smaller. It's just getting smaller by the day. There's not a lot going on. Outside of the military, though, this country, it's just kind of a little sideways, kind of a little upside down, in my opinion. Uh, the economy is not that great. I can pay cheaper price for diesel fuel right now than unleaded. What do you think needs to change? Or do you feel that we're focused on the wrong things? I kind of feel we're focused on the wrong things. We're, we're so focused on social issues and being socially correct and, and not canceled and saying the right things and getting everybody's pronouns right, which 
I understand. I understand. It's a general move forward in society to acknowledge everybody and to accept everybody for who they are. I totally get it. But we're taking our eye off the big ball, which is like China owns 35% of our ports. China has us by the throat on economic power because we owe them so much money. The war in Ukraine could be a big distraction. You know, I mean, there's just so many other worldly geopolitical things that are going on. And we're focused on, you know, pronouns. My hope for America is honestly just for everybody to get along, you know. Um, we got bigger things, bigger problems to worry about than what you want to call yourself. That's great. You want to call yourself this? Cool. We got stuff to do, you know. People who identify as gay or lesbian are allowed to join the military, correct? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. And they serve our country just like you do, right? Yeah. I have lots of gay friends in the military. That- and how do they function as... You know, military individuals. Just like the other person right next to you. So how do you feel about the, the, the transgender people wanting the same kind of recognition in military service? We had a uh, transgender person on our ship, actually. And everybody got along with them. They never had any beef with anybody, you know. But that individual had their own certain problems and later ended up, uh, you know, not being around anymore. So So what what was the transition, do you know? Yeah, it was a man to a woman. Okay, so it was a, um, a cis man who transitioned to a transgender woman. Yes. That was kind of like a little bit of a culture shock to me, but it really wasn't anything that, like, I, you know, I've never seen a trans person before, and it really, it really wasn't anything crazy. But watching this trans woman perform her duties on the ship, were you impressed that they did the job and did it well? I never directly worked with them or for them or by them, so I couldn't really tell you. I have never heard anything because on a ship that small, that's a little that's a little float in high school, you know. Rumors, every you hear about something that happened five minutes ago, you know. So I never really heard anything ill, you know, when it comes to that person and their work. I, figured they I've never heard anything bad about them they're a good technician they did their job went home at the end of the day never had any problems well that's really heartbreaking to hear that she took her life that's too bad I'm sorry that sorry for their family and their loved ones I mean it's just tragic it's terrible to hear so I I don't know if you answered my question are you hopeful for America oh am I hopeful yeah of course I'm hopeful for America you can't just give up things might be tough and and there's that that saying that's um Hard times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. And then weak men create hard times. Hard times create strong men. It's a cycle we have to go through. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think, and I believe in all my heart, that if it wasn't for the Great Depression, the America Great Depression, beginning with the stock market crash in 1929 and lasting through the mid-1930s, and the hard times that this country went through, and the leadership that got us out of it, there was no way we could have won World War II against both Germany and imperialistic Japan. Because all the men were in war and all the women were running the factories and building everything and the sacrifices people had to make. The hard times of the Depression gave us the strength to defeat and conquer both enemies in World War II, which became great prosperity in the 1950s and 60s and then became tumultuous again. It is a cycle. Oh, it's, it, it's insane. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, your service to our country. And I just want to wish you a happy 4th of July. Yeah. No, thank you for your time and thank you for this cup of coffee.
My last trek was to San Diego's LGBTQ community, a section of town called Hillcrest, which was formed in 1907. University Avenue is lined with bars, clubs, and restaurants with plenty of outdoor seating. It was a gorgeous day, so I just walked up to people and asked if they would talk to me about where America's at right now. Hello, ma'am. Happy Friday. What's your name? Alicia. Hi, Alicia. How are you enjoying your Friday afternoon in Hillcrest? It's all right. We're trying to find a little taco spot. Well, it's in San Diego. You should have no problem finding some good tacos down here. There's some definitely damn good tacos anywhere in San Diego. Yeah, we're being just a little picky. Yeah. Some things are watered down. We like authentic. Authentic mom and pop hole in the wall places. Absolutely. Where it's good, hot, and cheap. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Fourth of July is coming up, and I'm asking people what they think about America in 2023. How are we doing? It's we celebrate our nation's birthday and everything else. What's your take? I'm actually an Afro-Latina lady. An Afro-Latina, fantastic. Yeah. So that means I'm a little mix of a lot of things, and I think I'm a good representation of what America is. I love that. You're beautiful, and you got a great personality, so give us your take. So I honestly feel concerned about the state of America and the state of our democracy. For what reasons? For the reasons being that I feel like there is a push or a move to kind of um, take back some of the liberties that were written by the forefathers of this nation. And it's happening in very subtle ways, but nonetheless, it's happening. What do you think is kind of being eroded through the Constitution from your life experience and what you see? Definitely attack on our privacy mm -hmm. and our personal liberties. I honestly feel like it doesn't um, benefit the majority of people that sit in the 1% of economical um, status across the nations to have so many people that have the liberty that we have. So you feel that the one percenters, the top echelon, the people in power are trying to take it away? Yes, because we're one of the few, we're one of the strongest nations across the globe, but we're one of the few that allow this amount of liberty. Most other nations that are in power have some sense of government that is more on the side of power in the government than power to the people. And you feel like it's starting to shift away from the people and to more the government in this country? Absolutely. And I don't think that would necessarily be of such concern if we didn't have America kind of being pieced apart mm -hmm. to nations and governments that are not democratic. And so it's like pieces of America are being bought and at the cost of our personal liberty. Talking about relationships with China and Saudi Arabia and these other countries just for the money? Absolutely. And I feel like because at the levels of government where people do have power, we don't tend to get involved and so it's just shifting the power a lot to the people that do not have a concern with giving common people their liberties and their power because within the people there is money and there's places that people go that generate money. And so in the end, that's what it comes down to. But at the same time, we are given away our liberties. New York has Wall Street. Washington, D.C. is the, 
the center of power with the government. Hollywood, which is right up the coast here, is the center of, of economic entertainment power and also messaging, branding. How do you feel about the influence of those three cities and the people who work in them? If, if I think about a place... Or even like, Silicon Valley, the tech industry now. Right. That's what I'm saying. That is like at the hub of what I feel like is happening in that shift of power is because money is at the center of that conversation and not necessarily our liberties and our powers. They're kind of wrapped up in other conversations that are not happening in the public view. And so what I feel like is happening is, yes, the tech world is taking ownership of a lot of our liberties because it is associated with our social media. It's associated with the way that we communicate. And so on the surface level, we see it as, okay, this law that has to do with Facebook, you know, what's the big deal? But in reality, it's bigger than that because that data behind Facebook, all of our conversations, everything that we do, every place that we go, whatever they decide on those kinds of things directly impact all of us. So I feel like a lot of what's being presented is not necessarily the real conversation happening. And so a lot of the common people are outside of the real conversations that we should be in. Very insightful. And I tend to agree. Tell me, what was it like growing up as a Afro-Latina person? For me personally, uh, first of all, I was born in a place like Boston, Massachusetts. So in the north, there tends to be a lot of conversations and they happen at a very raw level. So I know people don't like confrontation, but there's something you learn about that because you learn how to debate better. You learn how to express yourself. You learn how to bring the strong um, points behind what you believe and what you need. Because most people, when they're believing something, it's based off of their personal needs. And so um, I've learned a lot from that and being able to take that the places I've gone, like San Diego and other states where I've lived. And I feel that that's something that's missing. So that's why me personally and my own personal work, I work a lot with youth and I'm developing like a web series on like creative debate, different things going on because I feel like... The young people that are coming up now, I would say, not like Gen Zers, yeah, maybe so around that age group, they have a lot of opportunity to be able to shift the powers that are happening right now as far as the tech world and the business world and how those two worlds are kind of impeding on our democracy and our personal liberties. Right. Well, they always say the future is in the hands of the young and the youth, you know, the, the youngest generation. Yes, absolutely. And I believe that. Right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, are you going to celebrate the 4th of July? Does it mean anything to you? Well, it absolutely means everything to me because my grandfather was a Dominican diplomat and he came to the United States to leave a dictatorship. And so in doing that, he gave us the liberty of being in America. Fantastic. Thank you very much for this time and for your podcast. So we're here in Hillcrest. It's a beautiful Friday afternoon cocktail hour. What's your first name, sir? Uh, William. Hi, William. How you doing? Good. So 4th of July is coming up. We're here in San Diego. Hillcrest is part of San Diego. Very you know, military town, pro-American, patriotic town. What do you think about America in 2023? How are we doing? Uh, pretty good. 
So you think we're in a good place? Could be better. Inflation and stuff, but could be better. And have you been, have you been impacted by inflation? Yes. You own your own business? I uh, know. Uh, you're just paying higher prices for everything, food, gas, whatever? Uh, yes. How long have you lived here in the San Diego Hillcrest area? Five to six years. Are you originally from Southern California? No, from East Texas. East Texas? That's quite a change. How do you like it out here? I would rather be here than East Texas. <laughs> do you mind if I ask what you do for a living? Uh, a restaurant manager. Oh, well, I can see where you're impacted by the inflation thing. Yeah. So I'm hearing a lot of things that they're saying now we're in this third wave of inflation. The first wave was COVID inflation, then the supply chain inflation, and now it's just profit-taking inflation where the challenges of the past to keep prices inflated. Are you seeing that in your line of work? Um, Yeah, there's more inflation in the restaurants. We have to raise prices just for the consumer. Are you getting a lot of complaints from people about the prices? No. Actually, no. No, well, that's good. Are you thinking? Are you going to celebrate the Fourth of July? Uh, no, I have to work. <laughs> <laughs> but if you didn't have to work, I mean, would you celebrate the Fourth of July the traditional American way? Eh, maybe barbecue, and that's it. Yeah. Barbecue, watch the fireworks. Yeah. You had a flag. Uh, would you raise it in the front yard? Probably not. But but uh, gay, gay flag. flag. Yes, we would raise it. You raise the gay flag? Yep. The pride flag over the American flag? Yeah. No. Not I mean, over both. It, no, over it. Just both. Together. Yeah, together. It should be raised. It's over there. Yeah. You can see it over there. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. And we live in the American flag. We live across the street. The, <laughs> we raise both. It's, it is an American thing to be pride and American flag. Right. Live, uh, live how you want, love who you want. We're engaged and we want to get married, so... It, we should be able to have that right. Oh, I'm very curious. How are you accepted in Hillcrest versus where you're from in East Texas as a gay man? I'm accepted in East Texas, but it's just not. It's just he's my friend. I was never uh, accepted, really. Well, my parents accept me and yeah, accept his him. Par- his parents are liberal. But we're his friend. Uh, that's oh, so in East Texas, he's just your good buddy. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, okay, all right. But here we're partners. partners. Yeah. And uh, how's the wedding planning going? You guys not... <laughs> how's that going? We, just talked, about, we just talked about it today. <laughs> For tax issues, it should be going good soon. Taxes were high last year. So. Ah, yeah. <laughs> do you get a break if you're married in taxes like, you know, heterosexuals do? We're That's figuring that here. out. That's what we hear. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm unaware of that. But that would be a very yeah. interesting point. It should be the same, right? It should be the same. I mean, if you're allowed to legally marry, you should be allowed to legally get the tax benefits that yeah. other legal married people get. Yeah. yeah. Guys, thank you so much for your time. Thank Enjoy you. your lovely Friday afternoon. Happy Fourth of July. And I'm sorry you have to work. <laughs> it's all right. Good. Okay. Take care. <laughs> Well, that wraps another episode of Across the Dinerverse. Many thanks to Roberto, Dylan, Alicia, and William for their willingness to share their story and how they feel about America. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to support the show and connect with me directly, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com backslash dinerverse. Theme music by Keith Brock and the Kings Who Rock. 
across the Dinerverse, always searching for the heart and soul of America, one diner at a time. Have a happy and safe 4th of July holiday with family, friends, and, I don't know, maybe somebody you just met. You never know what can happen. I'm John Murphy. What's your story? <laughs>